Welcome to Langstaff Online. My name is Michael De Silva, and I am your host for episode 16. In this episode, we will be hearing from Brian Joyce as he continues to take us through the Gospel of John. Brian will take up the subject of the fruitful believer from John 15. May we all be challenged to be fruitful believers at all times, but especially through the trials of life and those experiencing trial around us. Welcome back and thank you for joining today's podcast episode. We will be looking at the first 17 verses of John 15 and discussing what it means to be a fruit-bearing believer. Let's read the words of Jesus. John 15 verse 1. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches." Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Jesus was great at using object lessons to teach truth. In chapter 13, he demonstrated what humility looks like as he stooped down to wash the feet of his disciples. In chapter 14, he knows they all love the comforts of home, so he talks about heaven as being the Father's house. The last verse of chapter 14 leading into chapter 15 indicates that they were leaving the upper room and heading to the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, Arise, let us go. I can see him walking through the streets to the countryside. 
It was Passover time, therefore a full moon, and in the light of it, looking at the grapevines, possibly picking one up in his hand with the beautiful April blossoms promising a future harvest. It would seem that they had left the coziness of the upper room, the place of warmth and communion, and now are walking out into the dark, cold night, into the world, into Satan's domain, as it were. It is here, in this dark, cold world of Satan, that we too are found, and it is in this hostile atmosphere that we learn how to bring forth fruit for the glory of God. Being a fruitful Christian is not a side issue with God. It is the main issue. It is woven through and closely connected to every aspect of our lives. It is not limited to an area or time. It is not a Sunday morning super spiritual condition. It is what God wants 24-7, seven days a week, 365 days a year, right till your last breath is exhaled is exhaled, and then you start a new phase of existence in His presence. From my understanding, John 15 is the main chapter in our Bible relating to fruit-bearing. It tells us what it is, what's involved, what's associated with it, and the results that follow from it. Today we will consider five principles on fruitful living that applies to every believer. The first one is this, the source of the branch will determine the fruit. The source of the branch will determine the fruit. That comes out of verse 1. Listen to the words of the Lord Jesus. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. Every branch in me. This chapter is dealing with those who are branches inseparably linked to the vine. Those who are in Him, in Christ. Those are true believers. If you are attached to the vine, if you are a part of the plant, then you share in its life. There are various ideas about these early verses, but it is my understanding that Jesus is talking about those who are his own. Martin Luther once said, when the angels want to laugh, they read the commentaries. I'm inclined to think that uh, as they listen to me, they're probably getting a bigger laugh than ever. But I like the words of Jesus. He said, I am the true vine. This most likely traces back to the Old Testament where, where uh, Israel was referred to as a vine, a vine that didn't bear fruit and is seen in contrast to Christ, who is the true vine. Not that Israel was false, but that he is the reality. He is the fulfillment of what Israel could not be. He would produce the fruit that Israel did not. There is something here for us as well. He is the source of all true blessing. We, we are linked to the source and our only hope of producing fruit is to be drawing it from Him alone. The analogy is so basic that it hardly needs ex explanation, but 
if you are a branch linked to a grapevine, then the fruit produced will be self-evident. It will not be bearing sour lemons. It is therefore expected that we who are linked to Christ will bear the fruit associated with his life. Like Warren Wiersbe said, it is a living union. It is a loving union. And it is a lasting union. The second lesson comes out of verses 2 and 3. It is this. The Father will do whatever it takes for you to be fruitful. The Father will do whatever it takes for you to be fruitful. The vine dresser is the father, the caretaker of the garden. He is committed to the upkeep of the vine and its branches to ensure that it produces good fruit. The word husbandman or vine dresser comes uh, from the Greek word meaning gardener or earth worker. We get our English word or English name, George, from that word. Do you want to be a fruitful branch? Then expect the pruning process in your life. In this section, at least two groups of believers are identified, fruitless believers and fruitful believers. Verse 2 tells us that the fruitless believer is taken away or lifted up Some look at this as removing the false professor like Judas, but I see it as the unfruitful believer being lifted up by the gardener for special attention and care. I was reading that in Northern California, where there are so many vineyards, that at a certain time of year, the the vine keepers cut a certain sucker shoot from the vines. It is because they will never bear fruit. They will grow leaves abundantly, but they will never produce fruit. If allowed to remain, these shoots will actually sap the life out of the branch, out of the vine, and and greatly reduce the quality of fruit it it is going to bear. The first work of the the vine keeper, is to lift the branches in order to remove these unwanted shoots from them. This ongoing process of removing the things from our lives that drain us of spiritual fruit is a blessing from God. His desire is to remove the bad to give us the good, to remove the fake in order to give us the real. Also in verse 2 is the fruitful believer. It says he purges or cleanses it that it may produce more fruit. This is where most of you are. Have you ever wondered why life is so difficult at times? One trial after another. The father is pruning. The gardener is seeking to increase the produce. And remember, The Father is never nearer to you than when he is pruning. Verse 3 gives the main way in which he cleanses. Through his word. You read it. You hear it. You learn it. You meditate on it. You assimilate it. 
You allow it to saturate your being and it will do its work. It will cleanse you. The third principle comes out of verses 4 and 5. The link between your nearness and fruitfulness is direct. The link between your nearness and fruitfulness is direct. This is the key to the whole issue of fruit bearing. This is where it is at, all summed up in one single word. If you get this right, then you get life right, and all the rest will fall into place. It's all summed up in the word abide, found 11 times from verses 1 to 11. As for the literal meaning of the word, it means to continue, to remain, to tarry, to stay, to dwell, to endure, to keep close. There are two things in the first statement of verse 4. Abide in me and I in you. There are two voices here. First, an active voice. Jesus says, you stay near to me. This is something he expects us to do. Then the implication, let me abide in you. This is the passive voice. It is not something we start or initiate, but we can expect to happen. When you abide in him, you can trust it to be so. He will abide in you. Staying close to him will require every fiber of your being, every ounce of your energy. The world is against you and will call out to you. The devil is against you and will whisper lies into your ear. It's okay. Go ahead. Just do it. Look how good it is. Worst of all, you are against yourself. There is enough of the flesh that old Adam nature within you to ruin you for God. With the attraction of the world and the, de the deception of Satan, there is enough within any one of us to wreck our families, our churches, our testimonies. God knows. If you abide in Him, this is what we learn, He will abide in you. And this leads me to my next principle. It comes out of verse 5. The work of producing fruit is God's work, not yours. The work of producing fruit is God's work, not yours. It is not the activity of the flesh. Verse 5 says, For without me you can do nothing. By itself, a branch is useless and fruitless. It doesn't mean you can't function. You can run a business. You can raise a family. You can be very active as a Christian in a local church. But without dependence upon Him, you will not be fruitful. Or another way to say it is, everything from God, nothing from me. Galatians 5 reminds us of the fruit of the Spirit. These are not natural qualities, nor are they produced by natural means. They are the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, the enabling, the producing, comes from above. 
Imagine cutting off a branch and throwing it uh, by itself and expecting it to produce fruit. It's ridiculous, absurd. Left alone, it would wither away to nothing. There must be a balance of discipline and dependence. I know in my early days there, there was lots of discipline, reading, praying, learning, speaking, etc. At times it, it felt so barren, so, so empty. There was a lack of dependence upon Him. The reality is that we need Him in every aspect of our lives. Let's go to the last principle, and it's this. The evidence, the evidence of your fruitfulness will be visible. The evidence of your fruitfulness will be visible. Maybe you are wondering, what fruit is God looking for in my life? It is the, it is the fruit of, of godliness, the fruit of Christ-likeness of holiness, of wholeness, and true character. It is the fruit of the Spirit as seen in Galatians chapter 5. Just notice some of the visible fruit seen here in our chapter, uh, like in verse 7, desires granted. This is the one of the first evidence of a fruitful life, effective prayer. Jesus said, ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Now, the order of this verse is crucial. The statement, if you abide in me, speaks of fellowship and intimacy with our Savior and should always precede obedience, which is seen in the next phrase, and my words abide in you. Our obedience to the word must flow out of a life of closeness with Christ or else our actions will, be, uh, will become drudgery, a, a list of rules and commands for us to dutifully follow. When our eyes are focused on Him and we dwell in the secret place of His presence, our obedience will flow from a life of love and devotion. The company we keep greatly impacts our desires and outlook. Jesus taught these men that if they stay near to Him, if they abide in Him, obedience will be the result and desires will be so in line with His that what they ask will be what He already wants. The more intimate our relationship with God, the more real and true our praying will be. When our desire and our longing is what He wants, then we are truly abiding in Him. And so, we need to be cultivating this closeness with Christ. Philip Yancey says, God is already present in my life and all around me. Prayer offers the chance to attend and respond to that presence. He goes on to say, The quieter the mind, the more powerful the worthier, the more telling, and more perfect the prayer is. How often do I come to God with requests for this and that, rather than simply to spend time with Him, to discern what, what He wants from me and not vice versa? While very often my need drives me to prayer, when I pray, I am made aware of my greatest need, to be with Him, 
to experience His presence. In his book, Abiding in Him, Andrew Murray says, Abiding in Jesus, the crucified one, is the secret to the growth of that new life, which comes from the death of our old life. He illustrated this by using the process of grafting. When a, a graft is united to the stock, it has to be kept fixed or uh, it must abide in, uh, in the place where the stock has been cut. It is joined at the place of cutting or the place of wounding. This reality of grafting holds true in relation to the Lord Jesus and we his people. It was the death of Christ and the wounds of Calvary that first enabled us to receive his life. And as we abide there in those wounds, we will experience more and more of his life flowing through us. The better the conformity, the better the fit, the stronger the graft will grow and take on the likeness of the stock. With grafting, both the stem and the stock have to be wounded. They are cut to fit each other. There is a fellowship between the sufferings uh, of Christ and our sufferings. Like Him, we must take on the attitude uh, towards God's judgment of sin. Like Him, we must be willing to yield our lives to the will of God. Like him, we must experience the self-sacrifice of Gethsemane and Calvary to enjoy the path of uh, resurrection and life. The cross is the place where we meet and abide with him. He took my cross for his own, that's substitution. I must take his cross for my own, that's fellowship. This means death to sin, death to self so that the power, His power, can change us into what He wants us to be. If we are in Him and He is in us, then we will want what He wants. In verses 9 to 13, we see love expressed. This is another visible evidence of a fruitful life. Verse 9, he says, continue in my love. Verse 12, my commandment that you love one another. Verse 17, I command you that you love one another. In verse 9, where he says, abide in my love as I abide in my Father's love, is, uh, is very important. The key Jesus is saying, the key to me, Jesus, loving you, is abiding in my Father's love, resting in His love, always doing what the Father loves, and being in, uh, fully in love with my Father, abiding in His love. One man asked, which is harder, loving people whom you don't like or loving people who don't like you? How can, <laughs> how can we do this? Like Einstein's formula, E equals MC squared, which is a description of unimaginable power. So this seven-worded formula is the only answer to loving others. It is to love like Jesus, you in me and I in you. You can't do anything more for your friends than lay down your life for them. 
It is not the idea of getting killed for them, although that would prove your love. But a greater proof would be a, to daily lay down your life on their behalf. If we are abiding in Him and He in us, then we will be able to love like He loved. Notice thirdly in verse 11, joy experienced. Just as Jesus got His joy from doing the Father's will, so will you and I. Hebrews 12 says, Who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross. If we are in Him and He in us, His joy will fill us. Notice verses 12 to 15. Friendship deepened. A friend is uh, altogether on a different level than a slave. A friend is someone you let into your life, into the sorrows, into the joys, into the experiences of your life. That's what the Lord Jesus was doing with his disciples. If you abide in him and he in you, then your, your friendship with him will be strengthened. Notice verses 18 to 25. Animosity felt. Verse 20, the servant is not greater than his master. If we abide in him and he in us, then the world will hate us all the more, just as it hated him. And then verses 26 and 27, witness born. If we abide in him and he in us, we will bear testimony of him. These are some of the evidences of a fruitful life. So before ending, just let me summarize the five principles. Number one, the source of the branch will determine the fruit. Secondly, the Father will do whatever it takes for you to be fruitful. Thirdly, the link between your nearness and fruitfulness is direct. Fourthly, the work of producing fruit is God's work, not yours. And lastly, the evidence of your fruitfulness will be visible. Thank you for listening, and may God help you in these difficult days to bear fruit for His glory. Paul said in Galatians 5, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Against such, there is no law.